Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back into the coaching staff. We have been serious for almost 20 consecutive seconds right now as we crack open episode number 44. And this week, Tony and I thought we'd talk a little offensive basketball, building your system, talking about... Uh, basically the three concepts that you can have as an offensive coach. Running a bunch of sets versus running a continuity offense versus running essentially a pure motion offense. So uh, that is what we are going to dive into. But before we do that, Mr. Viss, it is episode number 44, and I have 10, I think, pretty doggone high-profile uniform numbers here that 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 wore the number 44 sir are you is a big number i I know 44 is popular and i'm struggling right now to think of any um but yeah it'll it'll be interesting what's our breakdown okay um we have one two three four baseball players one football player and five basketball players. Oh, boy. Yeah. Hmm. All right, we're going to have to do the... Uh, and I will say, I will say that nine of the ten here are pretty much all-timers. Like, they're Hall of Famers. And then, I'm going to be honest with you, one's kind of a homer. Okay. So, uh, where do you want to start? Let's go football. Okay. You're kind of muffling into the phone there, bud. Okay, sorry. There we go. That's all right. I just told you you were getting paid. Now I have to, to cut cut your paycheck. So. Oh, God. I know. So where do you want to start? Football still. Football. All right. Uh, running back. John Riggins. Got it. Well done. That's well done. I thought that one would be a little bit harder. So, um, Baseball or basketball? Let's go baseball because I'm going to struggle there. Okay. Do you need some hints or do you want me to? Yeah, I definitely need some hints. Okay. Uh, one of the most controversial baseball players of the 70s and 80s. Whew. I want to say Pete Rose, but no, I don't, he didn't wear 44. He was 14. Hmm. 70s and 80s controversial baseball player. Crap. Um, I'm trying to think of a hint without giving it away. Um, one, uh, one. Oh, no, that would kind of give it away. Uh, Pitcher or field player? Uh, outfielder. Outfielder, outfielder and designated hitter at the end of his career. Played his college baseball at Arizona State. Hit one of the most famous all-star game home runs in history. Hit the ball off the roof of Tiger Stadium. Home run hitter, also struck out a lot. Dave Kingman. Nope. Want me to give it to you? I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get this you're, one. You're going to kick yourself. Reggie Jackson. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. I am kicking myself. Yeah, yeah, don't kick too hard. Uh, <laughs> uh, another one here. Willie Mays' co-star. Shortstop. Same initials. I believe he played in the outfield. Oh boy. I am struggling on this one. Uh, let's go with... It's just not coming to me. Uh-huh. Played first... No, he played first base. Because I want to say Orlando Cepeda, but that's not right. No. I am struggling on this one, too. Ah, Willie McCovey. Oh, I was going to say McCovey, but I yeah. thought, yeah, anyway. Okay. Uh, the last baseball player that you should get, uh, I, I mean, this one's one of the, he's underrated at this point. He's one of baseball's all-time greatest players. He's probably underrated at this point. Paul Molitor. <laughs> nope. Uh Baseball's all-time leader in total bases and RBIs. Ooh. Total bases, RBIs. Not Alex Rodriguez, not Ken Griffey Jr. Um, Played in the 50s and the 60s. <laughs> definitely not those guys, then. No. Uh, um, Third in base hits as well. Oh my gosh, this guy was so good. Like, it doesn't really put it into perspective how good this particular player was. Not Lou Gehrig. No. Lou Gehrig. I don't, <laughs> shoot. I don't know. Hank Aaron. I, Hank Aaron, wow. Yeah. How don't I get Hank Aaron? Criminally underrated as a player. Yes. 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 Uh, huh. so I'm not even going to try this one. Another famous 44, at least in my world, uh, Anthony Rizzo. So, okay. Yeah. By the way, do you know that your Cubs are the only team in the NL Central to have a positive run differential? We got that going for us. They're only three and a half back out of first, Marty. Yeah, I know. I did see that. I did check that like two, like yesterday. I was like, oh man, we're only three out, three, three and a half out. So, uh, but they're still they're still under five hundred. Reds are red hot right now. No pun intended. So they uh, can't do anything wrong right now. They got Votto back. They got that rookie easy a shortstop. Uh, De La Cruz or something like that. Yeah, could be. Um, he is incredibly fast. Yeah, yeah. The Cubs, the Cubs are playing pretty well. They just can't gain any ground on them, you know. So, um, all right, five basketball players, Tony. We got buzz through this. Jerry West. That's one. Um, we got five. Yes, you got four left. <laughs> This player, I'll give you one hint for each one. Okay. Um, this player, his favorite shot was the finger roll. George Gervin. Got it. Uh, between Elgin Baylor and Michael Jordan, this was the high flyer of that era. In between those two. David Thompson? There you go. Uh, coached by his father in college. Maravich. And the last one. Um, he also wore number four, uh, played at Notre Dame. Kelly Trapuca. Oh, Adrian great. Dantley. Uh, either one would have worked. I was going with Adrian Dantley, uh, okay. only because we covered haircuts last week and Trapuca. 
<laughs> I don't have to get many of those anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, you can ask a certain someone for some hair gel and see if it'll work out. So. <laughs> Okay, eight minutes into is this. He in, is he in Nevada? Yeah, yeah, that's where he is. Okay. That's where he is, yeah, Reno area. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, sense, continuity, and uh, motion. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've worked three and a half years to get this many subscribers and downloads, and I think we've lost it <laughs> in eight and a half minutes, so... Um, all right, so sets continuity motion. Tony, uh, this was a great idea. Again, I want to give Tony his flowers. He brought this up. Um, and we wanted to discuss kind of uh, the pros and the cons to all three of these basic philosophies. Uh, and again, you're, you're talking, trans, you know, you can talk, you could throw in transition offense if you wanted to, but we wanted to limit it to this. When, you know, when you get five on five, what do you want to do? And to me, and and uh, I don't want to sound like a politician talking out of both sides of my mouth here, Tony. Uh, you need sets, but you also need a very good continuity half-court offense or motion offense, in my opinion. Uh, let's start there, 100% Tony. 100% agree. Yeah, what, what do you got for that, man? Yeah, the thing I would give you uh, that I like about sets is, obviously, you with your set can dictate who gets the shot. And uh, I really like that about sets. The one thing that sometimes you run into if you're only a set person, though, is you can have, I remember one year listening to a coach and had over 100 set plays. It's like, holy crap, that's a lot of set plays. And I don't, I mean, we don't have nearly that many. I mean, if we start to get to 10, I get a little bit worried about our guys remembering all of them. Uh Um, I I like continuity from the standpoint of, you know, it's a situation where it's more of a free-flowing thing. The ball has energy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I like the continuity for that. The thing I, I wonder sometimes, though, depending upon your continuity, is if people figure it out and they begin to take away certain things out of your continuity, how do you continue to flow? Do you have a counter for it, so to speak? Uh-huh. And then the the motion thing... I like a lot from the standpoint of you're teaching the kids how to play, not necessarily how to run plays. And the thing I like about motion too, because it's based off of reads is it can be unscoutable at times Mm -hmm. because depending upon how the defense plays, you depends upon your read. Now the, the concern that I have with motion at times is if you don't have high basketball IQ kids that can read a defense you might make the wrong read. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, each one, like you said, they have their pros, they have their cons. And I'm not here to tell you that, you know, if you do this, you're screwed. And if you do this, you're going to win the state title. But just know there are, there are pros and cons for all three of them. Well, I think with any of this stuff, we talked about it last week, Tony, with our, with our bonus episode, uh, talking about lessons learned from the NBA Finals and what's mm-hmm. what's everybody going to do now for the next two or three months? How can we use our post players and our five out as passers and creators and distributors? Because yep. that's what just won. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I think, and, and I and I think if if there's maybe one of the biggest lessons that you can take from anything that we do here at a pen and a napkin, teach what you know, mm-hmm. and if you want to do something. 
if you want to go from a continuity to sets, uh, let's say, then you really got to dive in. You just can't show, hey, well, let's take 10 minutes, draw some stuff on the whiteboard uh, in my classroom, and then let's throw it out there and let's see what sticks. You know, I, I think if you're going to make a philosophical change, I, I think you really have to dive into it and really teach what you know. I went through that um, in my sabbatical years, Tony, where I really took a step back, had the opportunity to just think about the game and think about what I would want to do next. And uh, I really decided that in girls basketball, if you can run a good motion offense, then you can do that's that's the best way to go about it. Uh, and we've we're, we're probably we're having an evolution with that as we continue to develop talent and depth within our program. You know, if you and, and you can look at it in, in the same way with sets, with continuity or with motion. When we first ran our motion, we ran motion to shorten the game to a degree. Uh, because we wanted to move the ball side to side multiple times and take a little bit of the air out of the ball without having to, uh, you know, overthink it too much. You know, we, we our motion is really, really simple, I think. Uh, now we can use our motion as we've developed talent and, and depth that now we really feel like we have five kids on the floor at all times that can put the ball in the basket. And so I, I, I think there's that evolution with things, and you can use sets to slow down the game or pick up the game. You can use continuity to slow it down to pick it up, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, but I think it's important with whatever you do. And when I made that shift from a continuity offense to a motion offense, it was very much uh, I had to dive in and really learn how to teach motion and come up with, you know, these are the drills that we're going to use to teach motion, and here's how we're going to stick with it, and we're going to stick with it. And and that's, you know, that's where that philosophy came from. So, I think that's a, a couple of big things that you need to think about when you're trying to figure out what you want to do within your program. Marty, can I ask this question? Would you say that motion is kind of that middle ground between sets and continuity? I would actually put it in the opposite end, Tony. I think it's at the complete opposite end of sets. I would go sets, continuity in the middle, and motion uh, at the end of it, uh, me personally. Uh, okay. And here's why, you know, a set, and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. This is just my, my opinion. So uh, sets, it's you, you're going to go here, Billy. You're going to go here, Joey. You're going to go here, Frank. And we're going to do this, followed by this, followed by this, okay? Uh, continuity is, okay, we're going to fill these five spots, and we're going to do this and this. But, hey, if you see this, we're going to go here, you know, or you have the option to go here. And then with motion is, okay, we we want you to fill these spots. Here's your job, you know, whether it's blocker mover or whether it's Bobby Knight motion or, you know, whatever your motion philosophy is, you know, make a bunch of reads and we trust you to make good basketball plays. So that's the way I view it. I mean, I don't know. Do, do you agree with that, Tony? Do you disagree with it? What do you think? You know, I was just kind of thinking about the fact, like, out of motion, you can get a certain player look based off of whatever. So I didn't know if you would if you would maybe say that hey it, it's maybe the best of both worlds where sometimes with your motion you can you know 
make it continuity and reads and stuff like that, but also out of motion, you can dictate certain things to get certain actions and a certain player's shot is where I was kind of going uh-huh. in that middle ground of it. Mm-hmm. Now, with your motion as well, can you go from, say, five out motion, four out, one in motion, three out, two in motion, uh-huh. or is it one type of motion all the time? We have gone five and four. Uh, we okay. haven't done, we haven't done three, just be, you know, we haven't had two kids at the same time to put down there, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, but you know, we, I, you could go obviously, you know, a, a three out two in, uh, but we've done four and five out, uh, just because that's fit our personnel in our opinion. So mm-hmm. now when you studied it in that, you know, when you took your sabbatical, when you studied it. Whose motion did you go basically Bobby Knight motion, or did you maybe take a look at, at other guys that are the gurus of motion? Uh, little here, little there, little everywhere. You okay. know, obviously, um, you know, I, you know, watching the basic concepts of like Creighton and their men's mm-hmm. team flowing, watching what Jim Flannery does. I mean, now Flan runs pure motion with a bunch of back screens and flares and. Uh, I know a couple of people at that level who dread playing against Jim Flannery's teams because they they you'd want to talk about zag while everybody else is zigging. They mm-hmm. are they're you know it's pure pure motion where you know how it is at the the Division One level. Most teams are very set heavy and the game really slows down whether it's on the men's side or the women's side. And yeah, <laughs> they just said we we hate playing Creighton uh, Creighton women. You know, uh, took a little bit from from Hoiberg, uh, Dick Jungers, and I had some some talks about it. Uh, just watching uh, a lot of other things pieced together, uh, and then just my own observations. You know, just just kind of again, you know, the great thing when you have two years to think about stuff without having to think about well, how's this going to fit this particular team. It really opens your brain up to take a look at everything and not just think about how is this going to work for Tony or how is this going to work for Marty. You know that that was a very freeing time period to really allow the uh, the brain to wander a little bit and really dig deep in a lot of different directions without having anything over your head because I didn't know what I would be taking over. So it was like, well, what's kind of the best for any situation that I may walk into, and and that's that's where it kind of all started. You know, so. that's where I was going to go with next is the fact that obviously with with high school kids. You know, we're not recruiting the men. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get, you know, what's in your what's in your building. And so if you can find something that can fit whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whether you have bigs or whether you're fast and have great guards or whatever the case may be, that, that makes a lot of sense. Coaches, do you want to look good? Pfft, stupid question. Of course you want to look good. We all want to look good. You know what's the best way to look good? Buying yourself some a pen and a napkin merchandise. We've got some really, really good looking stuff here. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, and you are not going to regret picking that up. T-shirts are $22 a piece. Sweatshirts are $30 a piece. If I need to mail it to you, it's just $5 shipping and handling to get this good looking stuff out to you. Coaches, I appreciate all that you've done for me over the last three years or so with a pen and a napkin. I hope I've been able to help you out. Might as well come out and help out the Twitter handle and the podcast by ordering some a pen and a napkin merchandise. And like I said, you get to look good. 
If you're interested in ordering, you can DM me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, send me a direct message, or you can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, and I'll get you those ordering details so that you can order some a pen and a napkin merchandise. So let's let's dive into it here, Tony. Let's let's go with the pros and cons route of and we're not here to tell anybody what to do or how to do it. Uh, we're just throwing options out here, things that you need to think about as a coach. I, isn't that kind of the direction you wanted to go in here, Tony? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think the big thing that, that you mentioned earlier that I would, would jump on with both feet is I wouldn't necessarily say I favor one over the other. You know, as far as the, the different things that we've mentioned, and you've got to do what you know, because if you go in and you try to act like an expert, you have no clue teaching, you know, whether it's sets or, or whatever the case may be, it's going to blow up in your face. But mm-hmm. if you, you know, roll up your sleeves, dig in and get to know something, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, continuity or motion or whatever, you're going to have a lot of success with it. But you've got it. Whatever you do, you have to buy into it. And I, I like what you said early, too that you were committed to it no matter what, this is what you are going to do. Mm -hmm. Well, and I've never been a guy that says, okay, this year we're going to do this, and then next year we're going to do this. I I think the best thing you can do as a high school coach, whatever you decide to do, is have a permanent yet flexible system. And, you know, you have to have things that if you're running a bunch of sets okay uh can we run you know this year let's say we're talking about cedar rapids kennedy boys this year we've got a six eight power center so we're going to run three four five sets different ways for them to get the ball on the block and finish around the basket but next year our tallest kid's going to be six two well can you run that same set for your six one athletic wing player to post up a little bit around the basket or things like that. You know, can you can you have that flexibility within the permanent play? Yeah, we're gonna run Chicago and this year we're running it for the six eight center. Next year we're running it for the six six one athletic wing to post up in that spot. Uh and, and that's the way I've always tried to look at it. Because I think as we talked about with our again referring back to our episode 43 about lessons learned from the NBA finals. You got to have continuity and it's hard to start and stop year in and year out. And if you are drastically changing things year in and year out, I think you're really going to struggle to have consistent success because you're not going to have the continuity that you're looking for. I don't know. What do you think about that, Tony? Yeah, it's big, you know, right now with, in our program, you know, and what both of us are doing in the summer, you know, you've got to have some semblance of order. Otherwise, when you get them in the summer and you go out to these shootouts and team camps and scrimmages and whatever, um, you know, you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs. You're, you're, you're spinning your wheels. But if you have something, hey, guys, remember last year during your freshman year or during whatever, and you guys ran, you know, this continuity offense or these handful of sets – you've got a, you've got a beginning point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you have to have consistency, common language, common lingo, uh, stuff that you've done that they can refer back to. Otherwise you're always starting at ground zero. And you and I both know that that's a tough place to begin every single year. Yep. So how do you want to do this, Tony? You want to go pros, 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 and then cons, 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 or do we want to go pro con on each one? I would, I would say, 
I, I think my preference here would be let's go pro-con on each one. All right. Because I feel like if we just do pro, 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 and we bounce around like a ping pong ball, we might not okay. might lose some people on that. All right. So uh, let's start with set plays. Uh, and I'll give you the floor here, Tony. What are some some pros that you have of you know running a lot of sets and being really set play dependent? Set play dependent, you know, kind of referred to this in the introduction a little bit ago, but it's the fact that you get to pick you know, who's going to shoot it, basically. And, you know, and if you are a team that has one or two really good offensive players, those are the guys you want. Because it's not an equal opportunity thing. Those guys should get 60% of the shots, potentially. Um, the other thing with, with sets, if you have a bunch of them, is it really, you know, you, you give the defense a lot to think about. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, hey, we're going to defund flex here. They're going to run flex for however long they have it. We know what we're going to see every single time with sets. Um, you know, you give them a lot to think about. And there's a lot of time they're spending on their scout just in terms of how they're going to have to guard, you know, your, your multiple number of, of set plays. Um, and so those would be probably two of the bigger pros of sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you on, on every single one of those points, Tony. Uh, I think it was Don Meyer that said it. If you don't have at least four play in plays in for your best player, you suck as a coach. Uh, I think that was the, the the quotable quote there by Coach Meyer. Uh, and and you're right. You can you, your best players get the best shots, and you know you can expand that playbook. Maybe not a hundred plus plays, uh, but I know earlier in my career when I felt like I team I had a team that had. Uh, a very good basketball IQ, and when I was younger and ran a lot more sets, we probably had 15-ish sets. Now, you know, we'd have Utah 1, and then we'd have Utah 2, and then Utah 2 fist, and then Utah, mm-hmm. you know, 2 slip or whatever it may be. So, you know, it was the same play with, you know, to help our girls. Hey, we're looking for the fist option on this. We're looking for the slip option on this. But, you know, you could get those best players, best shots, and I also think a pro of it, especially for us in a high school situation, if you only have one to three kids that could really put the ball into the basket effectively and consistently, you can help control the game, especially if you don't have a shot clock. Now, this is changing a little bit because more and more states are implementing the shot clock at, at various different levels, but you can teach your kids, okay, move it around, move around, hold it for 15, 20 seconds, and then we're going to run a set for Billy or Mary, and we're going to let them do this and this and, and score it, and we're going to shorten the game that way. So I think you can really ride you know, one to three really good players without a, lot of, uh, without a big supporting cast and allow your team to excel by running a lot of those set plays as well. Yeah, you know, and like you're mentioning, if you go into a – into a competition and you don't have a lot of offensive firepower shortening the game is going to be important for you to give yourself the best chance and then the other thing is you want your best player to be the one that takes a good number of the shots because that puts you in the best position to win yep yep uh let's jump into cons tony um and i'll go ahead and take the lead here on this one uh I, i i had three big cons when it came to a set heavy offense number one especially in this day and age. Now, when you and I started being seasoned and experienced, uh, the, the scouting wasn't as thorough. Uh, you couldn't, you know, 
you had to go live scout or best case scenario, you had some VHSs rolling through you in the mail. And now if you run a lot of sets, you are very, very scoutable. And that gets tough in the postseason where if you've got a, a good team with, with good coaches and smart players, they can take away a lot of your pet actions. Uh, the second thing that I had is sets are really rigid. Uh, they can be really, really rigid, you know, point A to point B to point C to point D, and here we go. And, again, kind of going to that scouting thing, here, here that is. And then I think the third thing is especially in this day and age if you run a lot of sets and it's just we're gonna we're gonna run this set for billy and frank the entire time and we're gonna run all these sets for billy and frank with a couple of them sprinkled in for jimmy that's gonna turn off players two through nine or 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 three through ten or whatever it may be because they are not they're 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 not dumb uh they're they're you're basically telling them i don't trust you you can't handle this therefore i think lesser of you and and whether we want to admit it or not a lot of players look at like you were talking about with your game last night tony a lot of their players look at their self-worth in large part by the ball going in the basket and i think if you are that set heavy and you keep running the same sets for the same one two three players player the the rest of the kids can kind of get turned off by that and you can lose them a little bit a little that deandre ayton syndrome uh down in phoenix that you know that's one of the reasons why they have struggled with him because he wants to have you know he wants his touches he wants to look to score you know this and that and he his idea of his role doesn't match up with the idea of the role that the Suns need for him to do for them to be successful so uh those are three big cons that i have of running a set heavy offense yeah, and the thing I would I, I go back to, I thought you brought up some really good points in that last one. If you're a sit, set-heavy group, um, it does. I mean, they're not dumb. And then eventually those seeds of dissension get sown. Um, if these two guys or whatever are taking 60-plus percent of the shots, and it can lead to some dissension. And, and pretty soon, you know, come end of January, whatever, they're ready for the season to be done. Um, and so you run across that at times as well. Uh, the other thing that I would, you know, that I would go through with sets as well um, is the fact that if you aren't a team that has, um, you know, a high IQ, it could be a situation where you're running five sets and you become really, really predictable because you can't add more in there. You know, I like what you mentioned in yours as well with utah and utah two and utah two fist or whatever it's kind of the same thing just different options different counters to it Mm -hmm. but it gives the defense something else to think about because uh if you're going to run sets you're going to have to run probably in the neighborhood uh i would say of eight to 15 Mm -hmm. uh just so that you have some different looks and give them uh things to think about and if you can't if you don't have a team that can run a lot of different things um it really handcuffs you and handicaps you that way as well yep yep uh let's talk continuity um and let's flip the script here i'll take the pros for continuity and start out with and then you can you can roll with with your cons first there tony how's that sound bud that sounds good okay uh, continuity offense, and I used to be a continuity offense guy. We used to run a lot of three out, two in, uh, high low type of stuff. Again, a lot of Coach Meyer influence there. Some Tara Vanderveer. Uh, so, continuity offense. 
if you, if you run a good continuity, you're going to have multiple options in a set pattern. Your your kids are going to know where they're supposed to be, but you can you, you got you know you got your post option, you got your elbow option, you got your three point option, you know whatever your continuity offense may be. It's usually uh, you you can move the ball. Your ball movement is probably going to be better in a continuity offense. Uh, you can move the ball side to side and. You know just as well as I do, Tony, the more that the ball moves from side to side, as Coach Meyer used to say, 73 possessions, seven passes, three reversals. If we do that, we're probably going to get a really good look. And continuity offense is a really easy way to get those multiple ball reversals and have that ball see the third side of the floor. Uh, it's dependable. Uh, it's, it's a dependable thing. Uh, your, your kids can believe in it. And the last thing that I had for pros when it came to continuity offense is you can put in little tweaks and uh, I can't read my own handwriting now. Uh, you can disguise some things in it, okay? So you can run, hey, we're going to run curl entry into our offense here. And, you know, it's like a set within your continuity. We're going to run curl, boom, 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 into our Chicago offense. And, you know, so you can run sets that can flow into that continuity and so you're looking for your best player to get that shot or your second best player to get that shot. But then if it's not there, then you flow right into the continuity and everybody still feels involved with it. So those are my three or four pros on the continuity side of things. Yeah, I, I like those. Um, you know, again, continuity, everybody touches it. Ball goes side to side easier. Um, you know, the other thing that you brought up that I thought was pretty good as well is the fact that you can have multiple entries into your continuity offense, Mm -hmm. um, which can make, you know, keep it fresh type of thing. Uh, those, those are all really, really good things out of the continuity. Um, and, and, you know, like we mentioned with everybody touching it, there's a highest, higher interest level in that. You're probably not going to get players three through eight that get a little bit upset because, Johnny and Billy or Susie and Sally are getting all the touches and you just want them to shoot it anyway. Now it becomes more of an equal opportunity thing where everybody can contribute. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, cons for continuity, Tony. Cons, it can be predictable. You know, one of the continuity offenses that's one of the more famous ones would be flex. And so if you were to run flex, not that you can't run, you know, different entries into it and so on and so forth, but everybody knows that flex is based off the flex cut. All right. Also, you've got that down screen option with the guy running up to the elbow and you become very, very predictable. And all of a sudden, teams can mess you a little bit. Hey, we're going to double them out of this. And if things don't go A to B to C, um, you've got and you don't you know, you've got some issues there. And especially I know you've mentioned the shot clock previously as well. Uh, if you're continuity based and they kind of mess with you a little bit out of it, and all of a sudden the shot clock gets going as well. You might have some people, hey, it's not going the way it's supposed to go, and they can't play that way. Mm-hmm. And so those those would be some some big concerns I would have out of a continuity set. The other big concern, you know, is the fact that and we've, we've talked about this before. You know, not everybody can, you know, play the lead, all right, mm-hmm. in a play. Not everybody can be the first chair in a band or whatever the case may be. And the reason why is that some people are naturally better at those things. And in basketball – you know, like you mentioned with, with Coach Meyer, if you're not running, you know, certain looks for your best players, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And in the continuity-based thing, again, multiple entries, we're going to look for Jimmy here or whatever. You can do a little bit of that, but it's not as effective, in my opinion, 
of getting Jimmy the look that you want out of a set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all of those things, Tony. Uh, you could be uh, scoutable. Uh, and, and one of the things I wrote down, you can take away certain elements from it. You know, we are not going to allow uh, Kennedy to run their high-low action. And here's how we're going to jam it. And once we take that away, we feel like we could take away everything else. If we take away this one cog of their continuity, we take it away, you know. Um, and then, like you said, with the flex or maybe even like the triangle offense. Now, I know the triangle is extremely complicated, uh, but, you know, again, flex is an easy one to, 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 to talk about. It can be really rigid. You know, point. You know, a little bit like a. It's it's like a set. It's it's like a set play over and over again. Down screen. You know, cross screen. You know, and, and that type of stuff. Or even, uh, the, you know, the continuity ball screen offense. We know we're, we're going to set that side ball screen every single time. And and so, you know, you can be a little bit rigid. It can be a little bit scoutable. If we take away this one thing, let's say continuity ball screen offense. Uh, you you know, we're going to blitz this really really hard. And we're going to take them out of their rhythm and hitting that roller. Or we're going to do this or that, whatever, whatever it may be. So, uh, you know, that's that's some of the cons of going with a continuity. Uh, so let's jump into motion, Tony. Let's jump into motion. Uh, do you have anything else on continuity? No, I'm good on continuity. I'm ready to do some motion. All right. Uh, I'll go with the pros here, and you can you can take the cons. How about that? Okay. All right. Uh, motion. Uh, pros and again three or four things uh it's it's very unpredictable you know it's kind of like well we we're not really sure where the ball is exactly going to go on every possession uh how are you supposed to know which makes it more difficult to scout uh you're teaching your players how to play the game instead of going to spots instead of going here to there to there to there we're playing the game the way that we kind of intended it to be and one of the things that I've really picked up with our kids is it allows our players to make plays. Uh, it allows them to play. It allows your players to play. And everybody feels involved. Everybody feels good about it uh, because they're, again, kind of the same thing with the continuity offense. We're get, Everybody's getting touches, and if you do it correctly, you can move it side to side pretty effectively. Uh but there's just not as much predictive, uh, predictiveness with the motion as there is with the continuity offense. Yeah, I, you bring up some really good points with motion. The things I would give you that, that you, know, you kind of touched on already that, that are very good about motion is the fact that uh, you're teaching kids how to play basketball, not how to run plays. And mm-hmm. I, I like that part of it. And then the other thing that I thought you brought up earlier, too, that motion kind of fits in nicely with is that with the shot clock and with scouting, um, teams know you uh, at the end of a shot clock. You have to have players that are going to go and make plays. And I think motion gives you the ability to do that where you can read how the defense is playing you and make a play in the last, you know, five seconds, three seconds of a shot clock. Because at the end of the season, that's really what it comes down to. Can your players make plays? Uh, because there's no there's no secrets at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are some cons of the motion offense, Tony? Yeah, cons of motion to me, it comes down to this. Number one, I really believe you have to have high basketball IQ kids. And not everybody has those. And if you 
can't read a defense and you're not on the same page as your teammate, it's really, really kind of clunky and hard to play. But if you can get them on the same page, it's really beautiful to watch. But it, there's there's a there's a, a process in that. I won't mm-hmm. call it a long process, but there is a process in that. Um, the other thing with motion, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about continuity. Yes, everybody touches it. It goes multiple sides of the floor, and it seems to keep people a little bit happier. But also, your best players may not be getting the touches that they need. Um, and so sometimes, you know, if, if that's if that's not happening, you can really kind of handcuff yourself offensively a little bit if the players that excel at putting the ball in the basket aren't the ones that are getting the majority of your shots. Yep. Uh, uh, agreed a thousand percent with you, my friend. Uh, you know, two things. Uh, it requires a lot of time to implement. You know, you, you have to. Uh, it, it's not something that you can implement and in a lot of ways have down in a week like a set play if you're running enough or a month if you run a continuity offense and you can see that drastic improvement i it's more of a deal where you have to put in a lot of time and it of these of these three things tony this is the least likely to work in the way that it is intended to work but if it does work it's beautiful to watch Mm-hmm. And it's and it's really really difficult to defend, you know. With the situation that I came into in my current position, you know, I knew I had time to work with the you know all cards on the table. Uh, our kids, the, the kids had struggled in the three years previous to me taking over, so it was a, a time period where when I came in, there wasn't the expectation of we've got, we should be at the state tournament next year, get us to the state tournament. It was, you're going to have time to build this piece by piece by piece. And that's the route that we took because I felt like it was the best thing to do. And so what we hope to see here, and, and I think we're really starting to turn that corner here is those three years of working on fundamentals and the, the the rules that we have or the concepts that we have in place, it's taken three plus years to have that really pay off. But I really think that it's got a really good chance of paying off. But you also, along with that, Tony, and, and I, I don't remember now that I've been talking for a couple of minutes, I can't remember if you mentioned this or not. So I apologize if you did. You have to implement a lot of skill. It, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of skill. Now, there are certain things that you can do where not everybody needs to be overly skilled. You know, you if you're a boys basketball coach and, hey, I've got this 6'3 kid that's out for basketball and we need him to play, but he's, he's the left guard on the football team and he couldn't score 10 points if you locked him in the gym by himself for a half hour. You know, what can we get him? Well, you know what? He could be a great ball screener and you know, Billy, every time you touch it, get it to somebody else and just set an awesome ball screen or go set a screen away for somebody or things like that. You can implement that with, but that takes, you know, the best motion offenses are when all five players on the floor can do something with the ball. And that's, that's hard to find, not impossible to find, obviously, but it's hard to find. And and so those are, those are two big down things to the motion stuff. It reminded me of, you know, when you were talking about that, Bob Knight, you know, was one of the best motion coaches out there. And then I want to say it was Brian Sloan, number 45. Sloan screen uh, 45, what, baby. 
Vicky V would just yeah. go nuts with the number of screens that that young man set. And you can you can put a, you know, for our motion, or you know, we have at our, one of our post game awards is best screener. You know, who set the best screens tonight? And you can reward those type of blue collar kids in that type of way. Hey, you know, we, we talk no accept, embrace, and excel at your roles. Well, I'm going to excel at being an awesome screener. And so there's ways that if you want to run motion, but you only really feel like there's three kids that can really do some stuff, but you, you feel like you're a good motion coach, you can take players four and five and have them do some things and still run your motion concepts. You just got to be a little bit more creative in that regard. And it really becomes very effective when your best scorers become your best screeners. Oh, great point, Tony. Great point. I love that. How do you do that? You know, I think the big part of that is the fact that you show them, hey, if you set an effective screen, number one, they both may go with you, which makes your teammate wide open and they're going to get a great look out of it. But also, if you set a great screen, guess who's open? You are. Yep. And the more that you can get them to buy into that, where they set a great screen and they're the ones that are open and it is effective and allows them to score, I think once they begin to see that fruit of that, they will continue to set really, really good screens for you. It's hard to guard two actions in a row, Tony. And so if you set a good screen, what's the instinct when that player pops open off the screen? Everybody jumps towards the kid that's open. So who's left open then? The screener. The screener. You bet. So, so... Judgment time, Tony. I know you're not a varsity coach anymore, but between these three, where does your heart lie? You know, my, in all honesty, um, and you can borrow a little say, bit from each. One. I would say my heart probably lies more with the continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I run more so continuity with some sets. Um, you know, I just. I guess I'm not the end game that you're in where, mm-hmm. hey, if we can get this down, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I love motion. I think yep. motion's a great offense, but the amount of time that it takes to be good at that, um, I'm just not in that end game process that you're in. And yep. so, like I said, my heart, more continuity with sets, but, but at the same time, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. You just have to do what you know. Yep. We are – Obviously, you know, motion. And again, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's, it's what I think is best for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think every team has to have some sets. Uh, right now, how many sets How many sets do you usually have in, Tony? We usually run anywhere from 8 to 10. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we've been at about 5 to 7. Uh, now, hopefully, with some layering and things like that, and we've settled in on some things, you know, I would like to really get that up to seven or eight. Uh, we've been at, I feel like last year we had about four that we could run pretty well. This year, if we want to achieve what we want to achieve, we've got to have six or seven that we can run really, really well. Uh, because there's going to come a time where there's two minutes left and you're tied or you're down one, and you need to run that set for that kid to get that shot. And a lot of close games are won by those set plays. So, you know, coaches, we've talked a lot about continuity and we've talked about motion, but don't discount those set plays. Like Coach Meyer says, if you don't have at least four plays for your best players, you suck as a coach. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's kind of where I'm at as well, buddy. So, 
A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. I think we're I think we're on the same page there. I think we're on okay. the same page. So anything else? Who else on is that? on the same page? You know who's on the same page, Tony. You know Europe's on the same page, Tony. It's like, like it's all in unison. Yes, yes, yes. They they are the European Union of being on the same page. So I like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it tied in politics and basketball. So I believe it is your turn for trivia, my friend. All righty. NBA draft is tomorrow. Yes. I don't know if you know that or not. Yes, I do. The presumptive overall pick, Victor Bemben Yama, and I yes. probably butchered that. Sorry, no, Victor. You, you got it correct. Um, is from France. Wee oui, wee. Oui. What other Frenchman was picked in the top ten of the NBA draft? <sighs> I think I know it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Mikhail Pietras. No. Oh, no, really? No. This gentleman was taken number eight. Oh, Frank Nilakina. There you go. Ah, yes. And it counts. Yes. Marv is back. Yes. Um, I thought, uh, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a good one. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I, have, I have already told my wife, uh, if I haven't, I will be. Um, you know, uh, from you know, tomorrow night is pretty much off the table. I'm going to be in. Fr- I love draft night. I love draft night. Oh, Tony. if in all honesty, if I love to coach, I do. But my my dream job would to be to be like. I mean, I probably don't have whatever to be a GM, yeah. but to be involved in the draft, like trades and draft. I mean, that part just intrigues me to no end. I thought your dream job was to be a part-time host on a third-rate podcast. No, it was work at Arby's. <laughs> I'm in charge of the roast beef tonight. <laughs> beef and cheddar, you can't go wrong with that. There you go. Curly fry. <laughs> uh, I think we should look to Arby's as a sponsor for this. Uh, so They should. I, I, you know, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Um, so Tony and I have decided to, uh, make the democratic decision. We both came to it to, uh, this last segment, we bounced around on a lot of different things in this last segment of the coaching staff. And I started thinking about it the last week or two and I bounced it off. Tony, he thought it was a good idea. We are going to rename 
this segment, the This Week in Basketball segment here. We're just going to talk current events in hoops. Uh, basketball has kind of gotten to the point where it's a it's a 52-week uh, uh, sport now. It's, it's pretty much year-round. Uh, I don't think we're going to really hurt for not having some sort of basketball headline or headlines to talk about uh, as we as we move forward is a great segue with with that Tony. So uh, so this is officially our our last segment is our this week in basketball segment that we're gonna officially name it right now. Put it on the birth certificate. It is done and taken care of. So uh, <clears throat> we got three we got three big things that we wanted to talk about this week. Um, let's talk about the the Bradley Beal Chris Paul trade. Tony, if you were to give this uh, trade a grade, A through F, for the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards, what would you give them? I would give the Suns a B-. minus. You know, I think the whole thing where they're trying to get rid of super teams and different things like that. So, I mean, you've got a tremendous amount of money committed to Durant, Booker, Beal and Aiton, which I, I kind of think they might move Aiton, but I also wonder if that's a part of why Monty Williams got fired, and if the coach coming in can show that they can incorporate Aiton and make him a part of things. I, I don't know, but but I would say a B minus because you got four really good players, um, but me and you and guys like us are going to be the ones coming in off the bench. I really don't <laughs> like that that part of it for Phoenix because of how much money they have committed to those four guys. And then as far as Washington goes, um, looking at them, it's a D. And, and the reason why I say that is, yes, you got out from under Beal's contract, and you weren't really going anywhere anyway with the way that roster is constructed. I think you got to blow it up. There's rumors that Porzingis is on his way out to Boston. Um, I saw that on Twitter. Who knows what, yeah. what's going to happen with that. But you didn't get first-round draft pick. And you're probably going to trade Chris Paul. Sounds like maybe the you know to the Clippers, or it sounds like they're the the top pursuer of him. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. I if they're trying to blow it up, they're yep. Let's get rid of Beal. Let's get out from under that contract. Let's see what we can get for Chris Paul. But yeah, you didn't even get a first round draft pick for Bradley Beal, and I, I scratched my head on that one. So here's my grades, Tony. I'm going to give the Suns. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to give the Suns like a C, a C minus, and I'm going to give the Wizards like a B minus. Okay. Okay. I now here's the reason why I'm giving the Wizards a B minus. Uh, they should have traded Bradley Beal this time last year. They should have tanked for Wembenyama. They knew that they weren't going anywhere. Uh, they were not going to jump up, and. You know, they weren't going to compete for anything. They are stuck in purgatory, in NBA purgatory. So they needed to bottom out. And if you're going to bottom out, try to bottom out for the for the best prospect that we've seen since LeBron or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Again, just a prospect. He hasn't done anything yet. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that he's going to be, uh, you know, one of those two guys. But, uh, you know, people who make more money on basketball than us, that's what they're saying about the guy. So they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're a year late. They're a year late on all this. But I like the the concept of them finally bottoming out um, because they've they've tried to run that middle ground for so long. I give I give the Suns not even, maybe not even a C. I give them a D. And 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 here's why I, I kind of went back here 
going back the last 15 years or so. So I'm going to start with 2008. Uh, there have been basically four of the last, and I think I can't remember if it's 15 or 16 teams in NBA history that have won a championship that have had the model of big three and scrap heap guys. Okay. Uh, the 2008 Celtics, the Miami Heat with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, and then the Lakers in the bubble. Everybody else, now, and again, the, the Warriors are a little bit different because they had the, 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 the uh, uh, cap spike, and so they were able to get Durant, and that was kind of a freakish thing there, all right? And I get that. Everybody else pretty much has been two stars and depth. Two stars in depth, going to what we just saw a week or two ago. Now, I'm just a dork in Omaha, Nebraska, looking at this, going, hey, this is what history has told us, that 12 of the last 16 NBA champions have been two stars in depth. And what are what's Phoenix doing? Three stars and no depth. And that model has not consistently worked. And that model only worked... Uh, two of those times that it worked was when LeBron James was at the height of his powers and Dwayne Wade was at the height of their powers. Well, Devin Booker's at the height of his powers, but Kevin Durant's getting older and Bradley Beal is probably a little bit on the downside here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I don't like this at all for Phoenix. I, I think it's a bad, bad, bad deal. And, and I, I, you know, again, I'm a pseudo Denver Nuggets fan and, and I think... This is not going to – you just got killed by Denver because you couldn't get any stops. The only reason why you won is because Durant and Booker had two games for the ages, and you still weren't even close to beating those guys. So I don't like the deal at all for Phoenix. I think it's a bad deal, and I think that, you know, I just think it's a bad deal. That's my take on it, Tony. So Fair points. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. Kendrick Perkins doesn't agree with you, though. That's okay. We, <laughs> we can agree to disagree. That's fine. That's fine. Um, the draft. Who do you got going first tonight? Victor is going to go first okay. tomorrow night. Or tomorrow night, sorry. Um, yeah, tomorrow night. And then I think the entry comes in at number two. Yep. Um, I think it comes in at number two for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one. Are they going to trade it? You know, are the Hornets going to trade it? Because there's talk that Zion might either go, you know, to to the Hornets for the number two pick or to Portland for the number three pick. Mm -hmm. um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And then the other thing there, not just the trade part of it, but who are you going to take? And I don't think it's a slam dunk. You know, a lot of people link uh, Brandon Miller, like Brandon Miller, prototypical, mm -hmm. you know, size and the way the league's going that way. But the, the player that intrigues me there is Scoot Henderson. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people view Scoot as a future NBA all-star. Yep. And so that that part intrigues me there. And then at pick four, who's that going to be? Yep. Um, and that's another one where a little bit of that comes in. And then you always run into the second-round steals. Like, a lot of people don't know, you know, Jokic was a second-round pick. I want to say 41, if I remember correctly. Yep. And so if you do this well, like San Antonio and some of those teams – you know, late first round, second round, you can you can find some diamonds in the rough there, but you got to do your homework. Mm -hmm. Would you trade Dame Lillard if you were Portland, Tony? It depends upon the package I could get for him. 
But I, I kind of go with what you were talking about earlier, Marty, with the Wizards. You know, it's time to bottom out. It's time to blow this thing up. You know, and if you were to trade Dame and go young and try to go behind Simmons and some of the younger guys they have on the roster, you know, with your third pick, whether that's Scoot or whether that's Brandon Miller and what you can get, you know, draft pick wise or young player wise for him, I would contemplate it because the way the Denver, I'm sorry, let's try that again. With the way the Portland Trailblazers are constructed right now, they are not going to get. I don't even know if they're good enough to make the playoffs, and they definitely are not good enough to win a round in the playoffs. So is it time to blow that thing up and rebuild? I, I'd say, I say so, and if you could get the right stuff from Miami, that might be a good place to move him to. Yep. I agree with you 1,000%. Uh, I, I, I think you either have to be on the build. You know, there's, there's, there's four levels of the NBA, in my opinion. You're blowing it up, and you're starting from scratch. You're on the build, and you can see it coming. Uh, you're stuck in the middle, or you've got a chance to compete for a championship. And Portland, like you said, you made a great comparison there. They're exactly like Washington. They're just stuck in the middle. They're just they're they're, they're just treading water. And it, it's it's time to move on from it. You know, Dame to Miami for Tyler Hero and this and some draft picks you know that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense and if you don't if you don't like Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero you can redirect Tyler Hero for something else cuz he's got a he's got a, a not an awful contract it's not a great contract but it's not an awful contract and you know if you don't want Tyler Hero getting in the way of Scoot and um Oh, Anthony Simons and uh, that uh, that kid that they got last year. I can't remember his name escapes me right now. But uh, Sheldon or, or Selden or uh, oh yeah, uh, Shaden Sharp. Shaden oh, Sharp. Shaden Sorry, Sharp. yeah, I knew it. I sound like Lloyd Christmas. Knew it started with an S though. Uh, <laughs> slippy, slappy, swippy, swammy, swammy, swa, swa. Check the briefcase, <laughs> Samsonite. <laughs> I was way off. Knew it started with an S though. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, I, I I think that's your young core, and you you figure it out and you go from there. And I and I think uh, I I, th- I just think that's the way. I think that's the route you go. Or maybe it's a three team trade with Portland, and they send Dame to Miami, and Miami sends Tyler Hero and such and such to some other team, and they send some stuff to you in Portland that's going to help you rebuild. Um, that's the direction I would go in. So. Um, but I think it's going to be a good draft. Uh, I think that uh, there's a lot of good play. You know, the top it's it's very top three heavy. Uh, I really like uh, this Walker kid out of Houston. I, I think he's got a chance to be really, really good. I, I'm a sucker for long athletic stretch fours. Uh, I don't know why. Always have been. Um, I really like this Anthony Black out of Arkansas. I saw him play against Creighton earlier in the year and was really, really impressed with him. Uh, saw this Whitmore kid play uh, at uh, Villanova. And uh, another another player that I really, really like is, uh, oh, I'm trying to find his name here, and now I can't. Oh, I like the Hawkins kid from UConn. I think he's kind of underrated. I, I think he's got a chance to come in and be a really, really good player, even though he's a little bit quote-unquote older. I think he's going to come in. I think just the way he shoots it, I think he's got a great chance to to make a contribution. So he's kind of a, a dark horse in, in my uh, draft guide for what it's worth. 
Okay. I was watching a little ESPN yesterday and, uh, is it Jonathan Gavini? I'm trying to think of how how you say his name, but anyway, Gavoni. Uh, Gavoni. He yeah. was talking about the guy that he really likes that'll end up being a second round pick. Um, is it the Sauerbrunn or something like that from Ohio State? That's who he was oh, talking about. Sensabaugh. There I knew we go. it started with an S, though. There we go. We're, we're both <laughs> stuck with S's today, but yeah. So that's who he was talking about. Is Bryce Sensabaugh? He thought would be a really good second round guy and, and could could be a surprise. Yeah, I saw him play live. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I was not terribly impressed. Okay. Uh, I, I just, um, I, I think he's gonna have a hard time again. Um, I, I, I think he, I think he's big stats, bad team player. Um, I, Ohio State wasn't very good this year, and I know there was reasons behind that. Somebody had to score. He was their their best one. I, I'm not sold on him. That's me personally. Who was it that said every bad team has a leading score? Yep. Yep. And that's – now, again, Bryce Sensabaugh is way better at basketball than me. I get that. He will always be way better at basketball than me. I get that. I'm just saying I saw him play live at least, uh, twice. I saw him at the Big Ten tournament, and I saw him when they played Nebraska. And I wasn't really impressed either time. Um, okay. That that was just me. I, I, I don't think he's going to be athletic enough – to really consistently get his shot off, and I don't, I don't think he's tall enough to be able to be like a a, a post up bruiser, get to the get to the free throw line a bunch of different times. That's me. Okay. Yeah. So that's my scout. So uh, last thing that we want to talk about. Uh, sad story this week. Uh, Bob Huggins, uh, legendary basketball coach from West Virginia University, uh, essentially retiring after getting caught. Uh, drunk driving in, I believe, was outside of Pittsburgh, wasn't it, Tony? I believe so. Yeah. Um, great coach, but um, and and beloved in the profession, but definitely uh, had his fair share of controversy and issues with his career. Uh, how are you going to remember Bobby Huggins? You know, if I go from a standpoint of when uh, he had a guy that tore his ACL and then going out yep. on the floor and leaning over him and, and comforting him, you know, during that time, that that's the definite, the, the good, the good part of it. And then you rewind a few weeks ago when he had the, the rant on the radio, yeah. um, that would be the bad part of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I hugs is great, great stories. Um, you know, obviously held his players very accountable would say some some pretty interesting stuff to them, but the thing that also jumped back at me was he allowed them to say stuff back to him. Yeah, and uh, you know, and so just had a great great relationship with his players, had their backs, uh, you know, and, and did a did a great job at Cincinnati, did a great job at West Virginia. But like you mentioned, unfortunately, his demons, his flaws, got the best of him and forced him out of what I think is going to be a pretty good West Virginia team this year. Mm-hmm. I. Uh... I think he did a great job with that, Tony. I mean, he's a coach's coach. He started at the NAIA level. I think it was uh, Walsh University out in Ohio. And, uh, you know, went from there, was a JUCO coach. And uh, those Cincinnati teams that he had in the 90s and early aughts, I mean, just tough dudes, you know. And... uh, then he, you know, went to Kent, you know, got let go at Cincinnati, kind of rehabilitated himself at 
uh, K-State, which led to, for him to go to West Virginia. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, 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 and, and, I, you know, no one is perfect. We are, we are all, we all have our flaws and issues. And, uh, unfortunately for, for somebody like coach Huggins, that stuff became, uh, very public, uh, in a short amount of time. And, you know, it's, it's a sad ending to what hopefully after some time moves forward, we take a, a look at a lot more of the good things that he did instead of the bad things. Uh, but those, those are going to be things that are going to kind of hang with him as, as we look back on, on, on his career, unfortunately for him, because uh, he, he was a terrific coach um, who did a lot of really, really good things on his floor, on the floor. Like you said, he had his kids' backs at all times. He was tough on them. Uh, but he was tougher on himself than he was on on the kids, and mm-hmm. um, was unique in the way that he looked at the game. One in a lot of different styles, and um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where where I'm at with it as well. A place to keep and to keep an eye out for him to end up at the Boston Celtics. I could mm. see him because Joe Mazzula played for him. Mm, yes. I could see him being a a voice uh someone with experience to help uh in, in joe's growth as a coach but i i could see him with the celtics yeah in some type of role like an advisory role mm-hmm. yeah i i think that would be a great landing spot you know out of the spotlight uh but yet still involved and i i think that's a man tony you, you need to call brad stevens and suggest that to him right now buddy i'll get him on the horn yeah yeah you, you got that in your contact list don't you oh yeah yeah all right all right very good that's it, man! What an episode, Tony. This is officially our longest episode now. We have we have eclipsed well wow. over an hour here. So, but awesome conversation today. I, I think we hit. I think this. I mean, I'm, I ain't saying this for just to say. I, I think this is one of our best episodes ever. I think we hit so many really really good things this week, Tony. Um, a lot of really good stuff. We did cover a lot of topics. Um, you know, I always enjoy the. You know, Mel Allen this week in baseball and, and our new little name of the segment here at the end. Uh, just some just some fun topics to talk about and then love talking, you know, offensive philosophy. Yep. Great stuff. So if you have any questions for either myself or Tony, you know how to get a hold of us. You can DM Tony uh, at Tony D. Viss on Twitter. You know how to get a hold of me uh, at a pen and a napkin. Uh, on, on Twitter, email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, uh, if, if you're looking for any drills or any type of other stuff for uh, the stuff that Tony and I talked about, some of our favorite sets, some of the things that we've done with our continuity offenses, some of the motion concepts that we've taught, you know, just let us know. We're more than willing to help everybody out. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.